Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm going to do this very, very quickly because I have my man Charlie Johnson on the other end of this call and we were fucking 25 minutes into a podcast and this is, I don't know, is it an advantage of living in the country or did a fucking sheep chew through an electrical cord or something, but the electricity went 25 minutes into our recording. So now this is our take two. Charlie, welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) Round two. That's very much an Irish problem, I think, like countryside problem. Oh you don't get that so much in London. May I know. It's like this never happened when I was living in the city. Uh, but you know what? Instead of jumping into the questions that we covered, Charlie, when shit goes wrong, and I love because even your attitude on this was so you're like, fuck it, come on, we'll just do it again. Talk to me about what you do with setbacks and when things don't go to plan in any area of your life. What's your kind of automatic go-to thought process on that? It's actually very timed conversation to be fair because i spent um a good four or five hours of my day with a friend today who's had like a bit of a major life crisis to a lot of respects and like yourself as well as me are both very busy individuals and like i like to surround myself with positivity so i sometimes find it a little bit difficult to like be around negativity and deal with that um but i also see the value in being a good person and helping people and offering out a hand when people really need it so I took a huge amount in that, even though I just find it a little bit draining. But for me, like I personally, like opening up and being vulnerable, suffer a little bit with anxiety, with having like a lot going on. And the easiest way I find to deal with that is a phrase I like. And that's like um, basically like taking action to deal with anxiety. So for me, like the best way to deal with any problem is just make a decision and move on. So like, okay, the podcast balls up and it didn't record. Okay, we should do it again. Like, it's not the end of the world. No one's died. Like, okay, it was 25 minutes. Me and Brian got to chat shit to each other for a bit and discuss a few things that are pretty cool. But now we get to do it again and make it even better. So, like, ultimately, all you can do is, like, you can't go back in time and undo things that have gone wrong. You can only plan ahead and try and be positive. And I think, like, the more positive thoughts you put out into the world, the more positive things will happen to you generally. Love that mindset. And I can't bear to go on the first two questions that we covered because I'm like, fuck. I was like, we, we covered these questions, but we're going to make them better now. But we're definitely going to flip the order of today's podcast. Um, for those of you listening, Charlie was on in August in a very popular episode about identity, identifying your trigger foods. Um, the amount of DMs and messages I got off the back of that, because there was so much value in there. It's a belter of an episode, hence the round two on the Q&A format. Um, so I'll link that in the show notes for everyone that wants to listen. Um, but today we're jumping on a Q&A style format. So for those of you who didn't, weren't here because it was only me and Charlie for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> and like now it's fucking disappeared into the world of the fucking wired network or wherever the fuck it disappeared into. It's gone. Um, but we are doing Q and A. So questions, I'm throwing them Charlie's direction and then I'm taking them back. So these came in from my Instagram stories. Um, for people that wanted to send in questions that for the opinion of both me and Charlie. Um, so Charlie, instead of jumping back on our first two questions, I'm curious because you're probably the best person to ask on this because you work with so many clients who have very busy lifestyles. That's, you know, one of your main messages is I help people get in shape, you know, people that are living busy lifestyles. And something I get asked quite a lot on is about shift work. And I know they're not necessarily shift workers that you work with. A lot of them are corporate, a lot of people just busy lifestyle with family, etc. But when it comes to shift work, high stress, and that leading to weight gain, 
Do you have any tips for shift workers in general? And then we can kind of digress into dealing with stress and dealing with weight gain because of that. When it comes to shift workers, what's your kind of philosophy or thought process towards that? For, for me, first, I don't know if you would agree, but the big thing I think shift workers really need to focus on is, uh, it might seem obvious, is quality of sleep. So obviously their sleep pattern can be a little bit all over the place. However, what you can focus on is making sure that the quality of sleep you are getting is optimized. So like as we discussed on version one of this podcast in regards to caffeine, like being very aware of in terms of like times you're taking in caffeine and you being aware of your blood pressure, all these different factors that you can try and control, which will optimize your health and your breathing while sleeping. So for example, myself, I like the, one of the biggest revelations of my entire life in terms of health, sleep, recovery, and probably longevity for me, it sounds ridiculous, uh, something so simple, is using nasal strips. And that became very poignant in the last week or two, for example. So uh, around this time last year, funnily enough, I had very high blood pressure, around 160, just from being very stressed with working loads and like various different reasons, having a hell of a lot going on. And I obviously clocked what, but this has already obviously crept up. I was like, I need to sort this out. Uh, funnily enough, I got talking and working with a chap called Dr. Dean. So uh, he's a fellow Irishman who is probably the most intelligent person in the fitness world out there when it comes to anything science related. And one of the things he first recommended to me was using nasal strips. Now, why to use nasal strips is because um, basically being a slightly bigger individual, I, I struggle to breathe through when I lie on my back for a start. And also I don't breathe well through my like nasally through my nose. So in terms of uh, nitric oxide production, which causes vasodilation, so you're basically your blood vessels relaxing, that mainly comes actually 70% through the nasal cavity when you breathe. So if you're not breathing properly when you're actually asleep through your nose, therefore you're not getting the nitric oxide coming in, your blood pressure will naturally be higher. And also the quality of your sleep will be poorer because you're constantly waking yourself up because you can't actually breathe properly. So that in itself has made like literally changed my life. And so I, I check my blood pressure every week just for health and longevity purposes. And I had a week, like a week or two ago where like I was a bit crazy with work and I just got slack with it. I didn't actually bother using the nasal strips and my blood pressure jumped up 14 points in a week. And that was the only thing that had changed. I was a little bit more stressed than usual. And then the week I realized this had obviously happened, started using nasal strips again and my blood pressure dropped back down again, another 14 points the following week. So for me, like talking about anecdotal evidence, that clearly makes a massive difference in terms of my overall health, my recovery and the quality of my sleep. So like if you work shifts and you have a very high stress environment, one thing I'd monitor is your blood pressure. And then I would also be very aware and conscious of the actual quality of sleep you're getting in the environment you sleep in. So another thing I've recently implemented in the last month or two, my wife thinks I'm a freak though, uh, don't laugh, is wearing um, what's called a manta sleep mask to basically cover my eyes because I'm very sensitive to light. So particularly if you're doing like when sleeping, so if you're doing shift work and trying to sleep during the day at all, having a perfectly black environment and like darkness will again massively improve the quality of your sleep and then also mean that you have less of an impact in terms of dealing with the stress from shift work, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what you said about the sleep environment being very important. Um, the, uh, that understanding that all the photoreceptors through obviously your eyes and through your body to either cover your eyes or black out your room. So people that are working night shift, I generally try, as you said, focus on their quality of sleep. Like there's going to be certain circadian disruptions just from 
your night day cycle, your melatonin production, your hormone that tells you you're tired isn't going to be working as well as somebody that's on a normal day shift work. However, you can kind of mimic some of that nighttime environment by blacking out your blinds or getting blackout curtains or using face masks, etc. Um, this is also an area when people are talking about shift work. And I'm not a massive fan of melatonin production or melatonin production, which is the natural thing. Melatonin supplementation even. Um, just because if you keep consuming it for too long, your body will stop naturally producing it. However, I think it's an amazing tool in your toolkit. So if you're traveling across time zones, melatonin is always one of those supplements that I pack. You know, something we talked about on round one that people will never know about is that when you're traveling across plane, when you were talking about fasting on planes, and that's something similar I do if I'm going on long haul flights and I'm crossing several time zones, I'll always bring melatonin with me to try and get my sleep cycle on track faster. Um, And also for shift workers, I think it can be a useful tool in your toolkit because you're not going to be producing melatonin as well as somebody that's following a normal nighttime, daytime routine. Um, Stress is another thing. We mentioned relieving stress briefly there. What are your personal protocols that you either use yourself, Charlie, or with clients for people relieving stress. And then we get into the weight gain around this, which is kind of, they're nearly like three separate questions that overlap. But when it comes to stress in general, what's your stress relieving techniques? Um, how do you handle it? Um, and what do you advise clients who are quite high stressed individuals or in high stressed environments? What do you recommend they do? So again, this is very much, I think stress, as we said on podcast number one, was is, like everything is very person dependent and depends on your personality so for example for me i've got a very type a personality which i would say you do as well brian like being slightly like hyperactive i just want to go 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 all the time whereas like if you're like that probably the best thing you can probably do is make yourself sit down for like three minutes twice a day and just do nothing like but almost like zone off so in that respect i'm a big fan that I, i actually genuinely really struggle to make myself do it at all um and that's use an app called Headspace, which is like a form of meditation app where you literally just sit and just breathe and just like think and just like clear your mind that I find is a very powerful tool. And when you can almost make yourself take yourself to the extreme of slowing your mind and your body down, I find it almost gives you another gear in the other respect to be able to push your, your, like your body and your mind to the other end of the spectrum and work even harder. So that's the first thing I'd probably look at. The other thing I would say is like trying to, like you run your day, the day doesn't run you. So one thing that's a bad habit is people being reactive, so example, for their phone or email. So something I'm a big fan of is like, say for example, when I go and train, I put everything on airplane mode. No one can contact me. That's like my time to myself. And I think about nothing else other than what I'm doing in that like rep set or whatever. And that for me is like my freedom for the day where like no one can get in touch with me. Like it's just like peace and quiet almost. So I think it's very important that everyone has that like breathing space in the day because as beautiful and amazing, like we're on technology now, like we would be having this conversation that thousands of people are going to listen to without technology. It's an amazing vehicle and tool that we have at our disposal to help people. However, it does also is detrimental in respect that everyone is like at reach all the time and everyone's almost overly stimulated going through phones constantly, swiping through Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be. So I think there's a lot of power in being able to control your own access to these social media platforms and messaging and vice versa, that being able to access you, if that makes sense. And I think that gives you control of your life. 
yeah, I think that's systems, having systems around whatever you're, we talked about trigger foods in the first podcast, but having systems around whatever triggers your stress levels as well. Um, and you made a very interesting point there. And I do something very similar, even though you go on airplane mode during the gym, I, <laughs> I never turn my phone off silent mode. Um, so nobody's able to ring me. The only person that's messages come through on my phone is my mum. And I've got like dedicated times that I'm on social media. And that for me is systems around, you know, you mentioned anxiety at the top of the podcast. I had a lot of self-imposed anxiety around, you know, comparison syndrome, which we talked about on the very first podcast in August. And these were all issues that I had that I'm like, right, there's something causing this. There's something triggering me to feel this way. There's something triggering me to feel anxious or there's something triggering me to feel ramped up at my stress levels. I'm like, okay, what is it? And when I go through my day, I'm like, well, I'm fucking replying to every email as it comes in instead of batching it. Or everyone's able to reach me at all moments during the day, whether it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. Or I'm on social media constantly flicking through randomly. I'm like, right, these things are causing me anxiety and stress. I need to put systems in place around them. So I think identifying, as you mentioned earlier, identifying the triggers on what's causing the stressful environment. Now, working shift work in a high stress environment, of course, your work is going to be your stressor, but it might be worth looking into short term stressors to handle chronic stress. One of the things that I found by proxy, by pure luck, when I was training to run through the Sahara in 2018, and then again, running through the Arctic in 2019, was I did a lot of heat exposure. So when I was training for the Sahara, because I knew it was going to be 40 degrees, 50 degrees, I was doing a lot of work in the sauna. And as a result, I found out about heat shock proteins. I found out about your body's response to extreme heat and extreme conditions. And like my mindset and my, or my stress levels were just massively reduced after a bout in the sauna. And the same thing happened when I was training for the Arctic last year, exposing myself to really, really cold temperatures to try and prepare my body for that minus 38 degrees. But I was getting something very similar with those extreme conditions. Cold shock proteins, the opposite. And understanding for me the sh- a benefit of short-term stressors, which training is a short-term stressor, fasting is a short-term stress- stressor, cold exposure, heat exposure, all short-term stressors that can help you deal with chronic stress. So they are all tools in your toolkit on top of what Charlie mentioned that are all worth considering as well. I think that like, like I took a lot from that myself then, Brian. So thank you. And I, I think you probably had this pretty dialed down and that's probably something I need to learn from you. I think I am probably starting to realize more now that I have control more of my life because I, I, I do very much like what you say in terms of like someone messages me, I reply straight away, they email straight away because I've got that type, hey, like I have to get stuff done, I have to get stuff done. Whereas like, like I can do whatever I want to control things where I want to reply to people when I want. So like you can ultimately do like an hour twice a day and that would is just as effective as jumping in and out all day long I get distracted. So I think that's like a really awesome system you've got there. Yeah, it's it's pure down to the product productivity levels. Like I find myself, even when I trialed it and experimented with it, I'm like, I'm actually getting more done and I feel better. I'm like, this is literally a win-win-win all around. Um, which brings on to kind of the last point in this question. And I'm curious if you've had any experience with this yourself, more so working with clients, shift work and weight gain. Do you find those two things can be synonymous or is it a case that 
it's just easier for people to, I don't want to say use it as an excuse because there's definitely some circadian and metabolic things going on when you're disrupting that natural circadian rhythm and not working during the day or not being out and about during the day and sleeping during the day. But have you any experience working with shift workers who have either came to you because weight gain was the issue or anyone that you were working with who switched into a shift work and found that their weight started to increase because of it? I Okay, I personally don't think there is a huge issue with shift work, providing you can get your quality of your sleep like nailed and down. The problem is I find that people, they often end up overeating and they struggle to, like if they ever change and start doing a shift pattern, they, they struggle to almost accommodate like the nutritional changes that need to be put in place when you're doing, like when you move into a shift work phase which often will lead to some like phases where you might have to fast for a few hours, which is obviously a topic we'll come on to later, just to balance things out. So it, it like it balances out over the week because you can't like, if you're in a, say for example, a bodybuilding style or a fitness, elite fitness style diet, we're going to be two, three hours. If because you're on like some crazy shift work, you can be up for 20 hours. That doesn't mean you can then eat an extra two meals because then that's an extra, say 800 calories, then you're going to gain weight. Um, if that's not your goal, obviously to gain weight, then that's not, not going to be a good idea. So again, it comes back down to the, the specifics of the individual and their scenario. But realistically, I don't think there's as much detriment in doing shift work as I think a lot of people perceive. It's just having it set up correctly and optimized. And I think one of the things to probably look at that is like the workout window and making sure you fuel yourself around that window, ideally. Um, that for me would probably be the first thing. I would say the rest of the meals you can pretty much put in as you like, but I wouldn't be too concerned that necessarily doing shift work is going to make you gain a ton of weight. Realistically, in my opinion, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think, as you said, I think there's something people might look to use as a slight excuse, perhaps. Yeah, I think there's, I kind of have two conflicting thoughts on this because when... I either work with people that are coming through shift work, factory workers, nurses, etc. I understand that there's definitely some hormonal and metabolic disruptions going on from normally, as you said, it's down to the lack of quality of sleep, which is a real issue. You know, if you're working a shift work and you're not getting high quality sleep, the problems are stemming from that. That's the root problem. So if you do what Charlie mentioned, that is going to have a massive benefit on your ability to lose body fat or hit any end goal that you're trying to hit because you've got the root issue, which is my sleep quality is really poor because I'm trying to sleep during the day. If you get that dialed in, it's going to make everything else significantly easier. So pulling from that side, I'm like, there are some disruptions, things like leptin, ghrelin, like they can all become downregulated if you're not sleeping. So it's not necessarily that it's the shift work is the problem. And even now, as I'm saying it out loud, I don't think it's the shift work per say that's the problem it comes back to setting up an environment and setting up systems with your food with your training getting your pre and post workout window right getting your quality of sleep correct you know and if there's times when you as you know nurses and doctors are great examples when i've worked with those clientele where they could be working the 20 22 hour shift i'm like right they they're you're going to have some negative effects from that but that comes down to sleep quality so it's a case of building systems around that and don't let it be an excuse because it is very very easy to let shift work and working nights in particular become an excuse for not 
getting to the shape that you want because you're like, oh, fuck it. I'm working night shift. What's the point? You know, I'm hungry all the time. I'm not sleeping, etc. It's like, no, you can definitely get things built around your lifestyle to compensate for the fact that your sleep quality isn't as good as it would be if you were sleeping normally at nighttime. But you just have to make sure that you're completely taking responsibility for it on the front end, getting your blackout blinds, getting your mask to sleep at nighttime, getting your meals and pre and post-workout meals set up and making sure that you're still training. You know, I think training works really, really well here as structure for the day. You know, one of the things I generally tell my clients who work shift work, I'm not sure if you're similar, Charlie, is I tell them to try and mimic what they would do on a normal day. You just flip the hours around. So you might be getting up at 8 p.m. I'm like, cool, have your breakfast, go to the gym, go to work, have your post-workout meal, you know, and keep your day as you would if you were getting up at 8 a.m. You know, you're just flipping it by 12 hours because you're working night shift. Um, I find that people have a lot of success with that. Um, I'm not sure what your thoughts are in terms of what you do with your shift workers in that respect. That's exactly the same strategy I would use. And the only thing, the only thing I would change with that potentially is if, say, for example, uh, say you're sh- like flipping their shift round and they're starting the day at 8 p.m., but they would train at the end of their day. So, for example, it's what would be the equivalent of 7 a.m. the next day. What I might get them to do is maybe fast for the first few hours of their day from 8 p.m. to, say, 12 p.m. Um, if that allows them to have a longer window of them being, if they're going to be awake for a long window of time. Because I'd rather they had a small window of fasting at the start of that scenario, and then they could eat consecutively for every three to four hours. Then they had bigger gaps of, like, five hours between meals, if that makes sense. Because I find once a client if they haven't eaten then they're generally okay hunger wise but once they start to eat they want to like if they're training hard they'll need they'll start craving food every three to four hours otherwise one of the things we mentioned with the recording that we lost and i want to bring it up here because i think there's so much value because i didn't actually realize we fell both on so opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to caffeine intake talk about what we were mentioning earlier about caffeine intake and your ability to have a cup of coffee late in the evening and go to bed and people's ability to metabolize caffeine. I think that's a really interesting point that I want to re-bring back up on this podcast. Okay, so just so this was something that was brought to my attention, funnily enough, um, which I'd always been sort of fairly aware of, to be fair. It was brought to my attention by uh, Ben Bukowski. I was at a, a dinner with him uh, for a friend's birthday and like it came up somehow and he said that people are blonde haired, blue eyed, they tend to have the enzymes and genetics that they can, they're high metabolizers of caffeine. So they can clear caffeine through this system very, like very, very quickly. Um, and as soon as he said that, I was like, that makes perfect sense. I've got blonde hair and blue eyes, but I can, I can take, I can go out for dinner and I can have a really nice coffee and I can go to bed 10 minutes later. It makes no difference to me actually like in terms of falling asleep. Um, the only thing it does have an effect on is in terms of the quality of sleep. And the only way I picked that up, it's by using my aura ring, which is something I mentioned on the previous podcast. Now, the aura ring, what it would do, it tracks your heart rate through the night and basically like how restless you are. So with your heart rate with a, um, through the night, you generally want to have almost like a hammock shape and you want your lowest heart rate generally like during the middle of the night where your heart rate will drop. But what I find is if I have caffeine late at night or a meal right before going to bed, my heart rate will be elevated and be much higher than it would be normally, which would have an indication uh, which have an effect obviously on recovery, which isn't ideal. So that's the only negative I notice in terms of like physiologically in terms of caffeine for me. But in terms of me, like we also spoke in detail in regards to on podcast one earlier um, in regards to pre-workouts. And for example, I, I, 
I don't really recommend pre-workouts for clients. Like if they want to use them, by all means, like superb, but I'd rather they invested their money in better quality food, uh, their own education and learning to train better would be the first thing I'd look at. Um, but as I said, I use pre-workouts because I'm in a fortunate position that I, I get provided them by a supplement company. So I have them at my disposal, so I will use them. If I don't have them when I'm traveling, for example, I'll just have a black coffee because I love coffee. And I find caffeine pre-workout works really well. But I don't get any crash from using a pre-workout or anything like that. Whereas you, you yourself, Brian, said that you'd literally be like curled up in the corner like a few hours after a pre-workout when it, when it, kick, when it crashes and it, it leaves you in a bit of a mess. Oh, like I remember, as I said, just, you know, on the first recording, like back in the days of, say, Jack 3D and Craze, like those supplements, like I'm the complete opposite to you, as in the highs are so high, but the lows are so low. Like I would get the highs and I would be bouncing around the gym. Like I would be ready to hit up a club, hit up a rave. I'd be like fucking like life is amazing. And then three hours later, I'd be curled up on the couch and I'm like, nobody likes me. I have no friends. <laughs> like it was just, it was such a polar opposite. Um, But like, I can't take any caffeine after tw- 12 PM in the day or else I can't sleep. So it was such an interesting point. I'm glad we got to touch on it again because everybody on this podcast listening either is like me or like you or somewhere in between. And it's important to understand, even though most caffeine has, they say five and a half hour half-life, et cetera, meaning that half of it will be in your system five and a half hours later, different people have different genetic makeups and different enzymes that are going to allow them to metabolize it a lot faster. Hence why Charlie can have it at 7 p.m. or after dinner and like go straight to bed where, you know, I would literally be fucking staring at the ceiling until 4 a.m. Yeah, again, it comes down to everything. Every person on this entire planet is unique and beautiful in their own ways and you just need to optimize whatever you do for yourself. And that's why for me, from a coaching perspective, I'm so into my clients giving me like very specific biofeedback on everything because the better the information they can provide you as a client, the better the decisions you can make as a coach because like no matter how good a coach I am, I'm not Mystic Meg. I can't feel what you feel in terms of your body. So in terms of food that digests well with you, in terms of anything that sits heavy on you that affects your sleep, if caffeine makes you feel anxious, all these things you need to be aware of, conscious of and pass that back to your coach so that they know okay, you can't handle caffeine. Let's not have that after 12 o'clock. Like Brian, for example, let's not have pre-workouts. These don't sit well with you. This would be a bad idea. And it's just providing that feedback. And I think that is the key for anyone who's got a a coach or a mentor they work with in any respect. Like success in everything in life, a lot of it comes down to communication and being able to communicate and articulate how you feel to someone else so then they can make the right decision for you going forward if you're working with them. Yeah, no, that's such an amazing point. I couldn't agree more with that. Charlie, next question. How do you determine if you work better with carbohydrates or fats? So this is an interesting question because I know it very much depends on the person per client, but talk about your thought process on what you advise people do because this is something that's been coming in very frequently on my challenge recently people going should i eat more carbs should i eat more fat you know fat adaption versus carb adaption what are your kind of thoughts on that and what do you apply with your clients and talk about a little bit what you apply yourself um because i'm sure there's a little bit of crossover there or if there's not you know talk me through that okay so there's a lot of mixed opinions and a lot of like media scaremongering in my opinion to do with carbohydrates and fats to be fair um out in the general public now neither of which carbohydrates or fats will make you fat either of those macronutrients in excess will make you fat and that is like the be all and end all essentially 
Um, in terms of my thoughts and how I like to optimize things, I like to have a very logical like thought process in terms of like how your body would utilize food. So in terms of what's our end goal, say for me, generally my clients are generally um, high level athletes or they're looking for uh, like physique transformations to get in the best shape possible. So for me, what I'm looking to try and do is basically fuel performance in the gym to create an adaptive response. So build muscle and burn body fat. Now, how am I going to do this? I'm going to look to try and push, have like a nutrient timing approach in terms of the diet by pushing carbohydrates more heavily around the workout window. So pre-workout, intra-workout and post-workout. And then um, the rest of the time, I would look to probably lower the carbohydrates and increase the fat content. Now, obviously, this is all person specific. There's a couple of major things in this you need to be aware of. Now, uh, one of those is your body fat levels. Generally, I would say, and I noticed like anecdotally with myself, the fatter I am, the less carbohydrates I can handle. Um, the leaner I get, the more my body tends to utilize nutrients and carbohydrates more efficiently so I can push up carbohydrates higher. So when I have a high carbohydrate day, I can ramp it up even higher when I'm leaner because my body just tends to turn through through the carbohydrates and the glycogen more. Whereas when I'm softer, my body doesn't tend to run as efficiently from my own personal experience. Now, this coming back to clients, I would personally say that from experience, I find that females tend to deal, uh, deal is not the right word, tend to run better and more efficiently from a slightly higher fat diet. And that's been proven from some studies I've seen um, in terms of like the way they run in terms of them from a metabolic point of view and hormonally that women tend to do better with a slightly higher fat diet versus carbohydrate. But again, I, I'm a big believer, as we said earlier, in terms of like listening to the client and how they feel and like what works for them. So if you said to me, look, I find that I run better on a higher fat diet, then cool, let's run with that. We'll, we'll try that, see how we get on. If you said to me, look, I love carbs, like carbs of life, that's what I want to do, then cool, we'll focus more on that. But again, it comes down to the individual. For myself and clients generally, I will have some form of a carb cycling diet through the week, which would basically be, like, as I said, already a nutrient timing approach where on diet days where you're weight training, the carbohydrates would be higher. And days where it's a rest day, the carbohydrates will be much lower, like even potentially like zero, but the fat and the protein would be slightly higher to offset that and keep the calories up. Now, um, there's a few different caveats to that. So for example, if you were training <clears throat> fasted first thing in the morning, I would, would give you more carbohydrates in the evening to saturate glycogen overnight so that you were fueled slightly for the morning because you're not going to have a meal pre-training. So there's a few individual nuances that obviously would come into play with this but in a general consensus that's how i find i get the best results with my clients and also from anecdotal experience with myself i don't know what you find works best for you obviously brian you, you're doing a lot more endurance uh, events now which is obviously slightly different in terms of demands on your body and obviously your end goal is not like necessarily just pure like aesthetic point of view but i'd be fascinated to see your thoughts on that yeah so Again, it's such a great point in terms of, again, goal specific to the person is always going to be the answer when it comes to any dietary advice. But what I do myself, and we touched on this briefly, and I'm going to retouch on it now just because I literally had this conversation with the, one of the guys who signed up to my program for January. So you can sign up to my BKF online program early and start, but the program doesn't start till January. And he literally got the nutritional plan and he was like, me, he goes, what the fuck? He goes, I thought we were going to be fasting on this program. And I was like, why did you think we were going to be fasting? He goes, well, you do micro fasting, you do fasting, you know, you do high fat diet. And I was like, okay. I was like, are you training for a hundred mile ultra marathon? He was like, no. I was like, are you trying to lose a couple of kilos to train for that marathon? He was like, no, I want to build muscle. I was like, okay, that's why you're not doing what I'm doing. And that 
answer. Like I was saying it in a jokey way. And that answer is always, that's why I'm so um, conscious on my social media platforms, on my podcasts, everything to let people know that this is my end goal and the way that I'm eating and the way that I'm training is in alignment with my particular end goal at this moment in time. And Charlie's exactly the same. Like if your goals are matched exactly like Charlie, you have the same training history, you have a similar metabolism. I'm like doing what he does is probably going to help you. But the majority of people in the world have different goals. We have different bodies. We have different training histories. We have different abilities to digest different foods in different ways. So I think it's important to understand that it's always goal dependent on the person. And what I do and what Charlie does isn't necessarily what everybody should do. That's one of the reasons why I love chatting with Charlie because he's like, well, this is what I do, but this is what I do with clients. And sometimes it's the same. And then a lot of times it's different. So when it comes to carbs and fats for me, I I work way better off fats and I do a lot of fat-based diets because or dietary high dietary fat because I'm trying to fuel my body for endurance so when I'm running ultra marathons particularly like longer runs so anything over marathon distance the actual ultra or a long training day you know I did 30 kilometer run at the end of my workout on Monday and it'll be 35 kilometers next week so they're quite long runs and I do them at the end of my weight workouts. How many calories a day do you eat? I haven't a clue at the minute, Charlie. Um, like I, I don't track calories at all now. And this is when I get up to that level of training. So as I get closer to an event, my training tends to ramp up, you know, yourself similar to a show, like your training tends to ramp up. And for me, it's all about just fueling my body and recovering. You know, body composition is pretty low down on my list of goals. And, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm quite, you know, short and stocky, kind of built like a hobbit anyway. So, like, I'm never <laughs> going to be lean and skinny, like, you know, of that fucking short and stocky farmer build. Like, so I'm fine in the sense that I always maintain the muscle that I have, regardless of how much I run or how much I train. But when it comes to the way that I eat around that and the days that I'm hungry, I'll eat more. And the days that I'm not as hungry, I eat less. Um, now I do something similar that we're going to talk about later when we get to fasting, because you made such an interesting point earlier that we're going to expand on about your thoughts on fasting, intermittent fasting, micro fasting, etc. I try and get all of my food in during a time restricted window. So even if I'm eating, you know, 5,000 calories a day or I'm eating 2,000 calories a day, I try and condense that all into an eight or 10 hour eating window because one, it fits into my lifestyle and suits my schedule, but two, it makes me a little bit more fat adapted meaning that when I'm actually on longer runs and doing endurance work, I can tap into those fat stores. And I don't, um, for anyone that's listening, and you might, may be familiar with this, Charlie, or may not be, runners get what's called a boink, um, where they, they literally like are running and they just hit this wall. Um, and that's normally like when people have depleted glycogen and they're trying and they're not meta- metabolically flexible enough to switch over to fat stores and they get this feeling of like hitting the wall. Like I never get that because I run primarily off fats versus carbohydrates. It's carbohydrate fueled athletes that tend to get that problem. Um, so when it comes to what I do, that's my reason for consuming a lot more dietary fats. And again, it changes based on training seasons, based on what I've done that previous day, etc. But when it comes to finding what works better for each individual person with carbs and fats, so to answer your question, I'm going to fucking clue what my calorie intake is. <laughs> um, but to uh, answer the question on how to determine if someone works better off fats or carbs, I think, it, as you said, you made a great point there. Like, if somebody has that self-awareness around their own nutrition initially before they work with a coach, with me, with you, with the personal trainer, with an online coach, with whoever, 
having that information is very valuable. If you know that you work very well off carbohydrates, and as you said, carbs are life. Like if that phrase or word has ever entered your mouth, then you're like, you're probably going to work well off carbs. That's never, I've never uttered those words because I've, I've never really, carbs have never, apart from like chocolate and like the fucking trigger food carbs where I'm like, yeah, <laughs> give me more of that shit. Like with the exception of those carbs, like I could go through the rest of my life without eating potato or rice and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like I don't really care, but I do love my fats. I love almond butter. I love oils. I love fatty foods. Like my body works really well off those and has done for as long as I can remember. Now, when I used to compete in bodybuilding, I would do similar to what you did, a carbohydrate cycling protocol. And that's one of my favorite methods of nutritional plans for people to follow when composition is the goal. But whether you run better off carbs or fats, it it can be as simple as asking that question. You know, as you said, are carbs life? Like if you think that way, then you're probably going to be able to adhere and sustain a diet that has a higher intake of carbohydrate. And all you do then is manipulate your fat intake so that your calories match your end goal to lose fat, to build muscle, to, you know, lose weight, whatever your end goal is. And I think the reverse works for people that are better with fats. You know, if you work better off having fats and then just have a structured refeed every 7, 10, 14, 21 days, whatever you want, either with free foods or cheat meals or whatever it is, or, you know, healthy sweet potato and baked potatoes and rice, etc. And you have a structured refeed just to make sure you don't get any metabolic stalling. Like that's going to be really beneficial. But I think coming at it from a what's your in goal standpoint and looking at carbs and fats as tools that if you have this tool in your toolkit and you know you work better off one or the other, that's going to help you or your coach determine what plan you're going to be able to stick to long-term. I think that is going to be very important or that can be very beneficial to understand for everybody. Like I'm sure you're the same, Charlie. When you get a client that comes to you and goes, look, I do really well off carbs or I do really well off fats or whatever, anything in between, it's very useful as a coach to be like, cool, let's prioritize this now. Um, and then you can kind of adapt things as you go along. 100% agree with that. And again, it comes down to, as we said earlier, every single person is unique and different. Yeah, like I think at the end of the day, that's literally what it does. And I just want to kind of hammer home that point that what I do, what Charlie does, what any social media fitness person does, like always remember what somebody else does, they're doing it for their specific goals. Like that's the advantage to working with a coach, you know, with whoever you're working with or the advantage of researching and educating yourself on the different dietary strategies and training strategies to hit a specific end goal because following and copying somebody else, there's so many variables that haven't been considered there. You know, the training history, injuries, how you deal with certain foods, your trigger foods that we talked about in the episode in August, like they're all going to be different based on the person. So don't ever go with a one size fits all. Like this is, when I think of, when I see it on social media, and this is why I love your content, Charlie, because it's so clearly, let's find what works best for you. And I love that message. But sometimes when you go onto social media profiles, you can see, uh, you know, this is what everybody should do. This is the vegan diet everyone should do. This is the training program everyone should do. And you're like, that's like somebody giving you the winning lottery numbers. I'm like, you know, winning lottery numbers work for the person that won the lottery with them. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to work for you. And that's for me, like, I, for me, it's nothing worse than having being like a one trick pony and being narrow minded with your approach. And I, like, for me, I'm a training nutrition nerd. So like, I love going on training seminars and nutrition seminars. So I'm going on a seminar this weekend, actually, to Edinburgh with um, Dr. Scott Stevenson, who would be a great guest on your podcast, actually. So, like, he's probably one of the most intelligent um, 
guys in the world when it comes to training nutrition they call him the bodybuilding physiologist um so he's a cool guy but i'm doing that seminar this weekend but i also did a seminar earlier in the year with milo sarchev and one of the best things that he said at the very start that i i bought into him straight away was this is what he said he said this the all this information here this is my own personal anecdotal experience you interpret this how you feel fits best for you and like that for me like when he said that i was like bang on the money like that's my thought process as well with everything that I have learned so far and ha- what I say to people is like, this is my knowledge now. This is what I find has worked for myself and an- anecdotal evidence with clients. You interpret this how you feel fits best for you because you're different than I am and you're different than the clients I've worked with in the past. And like that for me was golden. I love that. That's such a great message. Charlie, back to the questions that we covered earlier. <laughs> Thoughts on fasting? Intermittent fasting. This is a very, like everything in fitness tends to go in nutrition goes in cycles depending on what's popular in the media now in terms of intermittent fasting generally i'm not a fan of this uh but again it comes down to the specifics of what your goal is and it depends as always so that's a very um specific question like it's a specific question but like you can't give a specific answer without knowing all the information so in terms of intermittent fasting i'm a big fan of it like counterintuitively when actually bulking looking to add muscle mass now, the reason for this is when you're looking to try and add muscle mass, you're going to be eating a lot of food. Now, anyone who's been doing this for a while, eating four or 5,000 calories a day, will know this gets very tedious very fast, and you'll feel bloated, and you'll feel in a polite way that nothing is moving through you. Now, a great way to reset your digestion, um, keep hunger levels higher, and generally probably for overall health is optimal, and also to keep you probably a little bit leaner as well to a degree, um, is to throw in like an intermittent fast maybe every week to 10 days. Probably every 10 days is probably optimal. Now, what I would look to do with a client, for example, or myself, is I would fast, say, from whenever my last meal was in the evening, 9 o'clock, to say maybe 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock the next day. Now, that's not a huge fasting window, but it just gives your stomach a bit of a digestive break because otherwise you're constantly pounding in food that's trying to digest over and over and over again. And again, that's going to cause digestion, digestive issues, and chances are the food you're pushing in you're not going to be uptaking particularly well. And like, again, it comes down to it's not what you eat or just throw down your gullet. It's what your body actually absorbs and takes in. So if you're getting to the point where you're having bad stools, for example, you've got no hunger, you feel bloated, you feel sluggish when training, I would suggest maybe giving this a try maybe every 10 days and you should find it makes a big difference. Uh, Other times I'm a fan of intermittent fasting. Uh, If you're in a fat loss phase and you were a client of mine who, for example, some of my clients who work in the city, I'm a fan of them using it if they've got very busy lives and they haven't got time to be eating, sitting down eating four, five, six meals a day. Um, I may work and they train in the evening. I may well get them to fast the first few hours of the day and then have maybe three meals later on in the day. The reason generally I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting and I find myself and with clients is that it tends to lead to a famine and feast mentality where you don't eat until, say, 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by that point, you are so hungry and ravenous that once you start eating, you cannot stop. And the chances are that you're, like, because you're so hungry, the foods you want to go and eat aren't maybe going to be the best choices. You're going to be more likely to be led astray. And therefore, you're less likely to adhere to your diet. Now, your results are directly, like, linked to your adherence. Adherence is the key to you achieving success providing your program is set up correctly and your diet is correct. If you like, if you adhere to a program and a diet that's correct, you will get results 100% guaranteed as possible. Um, so that's my thoughts generally on intermittent fasting. The other time I personally love intermittent fasting 
is when traveling. So if I'm doing a long haul flight, I will fast um, for a couple of reasons. It's a pain in the ass to carry, like to prep four meals to eat on a 15 hour flight or 12 hour flight. Uh, secondly, I don't want to eat the plain food because I've generally noticed when I eat plain food, it tends to mess up my digestion. And I also find flying eating like carbohydrates or salty food, your stomach tends to have a bit of a meltdown anyway. And it also gives you a great way to like reset your digestive system. And also like if you're going on holiday, you're probably gonna be overeating, overindulging calories and we're having a great time. It'll offset some of the damage from that on the way there and the way back. And also on the way back, it will give your stomach again a bit of a break if you've been overeating, over drinking perhaps. So that's generally my thoughts on intermittent fasting. I don't know what you find to work best for you, Pastor Brian, or if, you, if you've tried it yourself. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to add to that, because I think you nailed the, the, the nail on the head with everything there, is that the feast or famine approach and the ravenous binging, like that's something that I've experienced myself that hopefully I'll try and provide a bit of value here for people that are experimenting with intermittent fasting. And I do intermittent fasting and have done for probably nearly two years now. So as I started training for Marathon to Saab, I was intentionally trying to make myself more fat adapted because I knew I was going to be running six back-to-back marathons in the Sahara with limited food. So I had to get my body used to running on stores that I already had as opposed to getting, um, you know, food from the outside. And I experimented with fasting and I've kept it. You know, I try and eat everything between an eight and 10 hour window. And then sometimes I'll do longer fasts on a Saturday or Sunday if it's a rest day. But the ravenous binging, the feast or famine approach is something that I experienced in the beginning of intermittent fasting where I would skip breakfast and lunch and then come three or 4 p.m. I would be ravenous, absolutely starving. And as you mentioned there, I would eat some good food, but a lot of it wasn't. I was going to all, like we joked in, in the August episode about the trigger foods, you know, chocolates, my trigger food, certain chocolates. Um, but like all food becomes fucking trigger food when you're starving. And for me, it led to kind of overeating. And I found when I became a little bit more fat adapted, that that stopped happening. It just, when my body got better at utilizing dietary fat or fat on my body, um, you know, through the form of ketosis, just when you're, that's what happens when people go into intermittent fasting and become more fat adapted, that ravenous hunger went away. And generally I find that as long as I'm not eating a massive amount of carbohydrates, that ravenous hunger is fine. I can eat just a fat-based meal or a protein-based meal or a combination of that, and I have no issues with um, the feast or famine approach. So if anybody is experimenting with intermittent fasting and they're finding that they're massively overeating because they've skipped one or two meals or you've skipped one or two meals and now you're so hungry you've just overconsumed, that gets better with time. If you train fasted in the morning, which will obviously make you more fat adapted through glycogen depletion, i.e. burning through your carbohydrates that you have, um, and also your body just becomes more metabolically flexible, meaning that you can use fat as an alternative fuel source instead of carbohydrate. You mentioned popular media diets. Um, I didn't prep you on this at all, but I'm curious. Have you watched the documentary, The Game Changers? Do you know what's ironic about this? is that in 55 minutes, I was supposed to be doing a podcast with James Wilkes, who is the main guy in Game Changers. However, it's now being rearranged next week. Um, so that's funny you asked that question. Um, my thoughts on that is, try and put it politely. Uh, <laughs> Tread carefully. The vegans are listening. <laughs> don't, don't shoot me. Don't, don't tell them, don't tell me a name, Pike. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think the documentary is incredibly one-sided and biased and doesn't give a true reflection of the reality. 
And I think a lot of things are taken incredibly out of context in terms of the athletes and the performance results on there. Um, that would be my initial thought process on the documentary. I quite like the way it's filmed, to be fair. Uh, and it was, it was interesting to watch. I, In terms of vegan diets, do I think they are... Like, again, it comes down to individuals. So what's your goal? Like From an ethical standpoint, do I think it's cool killing animals to eat them? No. Do I feel slightly guilty that I eat a hell of a lot of meat and that all these animals are dying because I eat them? Yes. However, like, is it optimal you eat a vegan diet to, for an aesthetic or performance point of view? No, in my opinion. Do Would I recommend it to anyone generally? No. Who wants to get in shape? Why? Because chances are if you're not in shape now, you struggle to stick to a diet. So if you can't stick to a normal diet, how are you going to stick to a vegan diet where you can't eat probably 90% of the food you normally eat anyway? Um, and something that I like is a saying that I think Mike McDonald said that I absolutely loved. I was like, the reason people statistically become healthier on a vegan diet, is not because they cut out meat. It's because they start eating vegetables and fruit. That is the, the, that is it. Like that is it. Yeah. That's like one of the, anytime I get asked and I eat mostly plant-based now just cause it suits my lifestyle. But one of the questions I ask absolutely everybody, when they ask me about any diet, vegan, paleo, intermittent fasting whatever it is but particularly ones that are like specific on certain food groups so vegan's a great example because it's like eliminating meat dairy etc i'm like well what are you comparing it to i'm like you know if you've gone from a standard american diet or a standard irish diet where you're eating a lot of processed food and mcdonald's three times a week and then you start eating more fruits and vegetables in a plant-based vegan diet you're gonna feel fucking amazing like if that's what you're comparing it to like but with every diet and i'm gonna offer because i haven't touched on this podcast at all about watching game changers because i didn't watch it for a long time because i'm like fuck I, I really struggle to watch heavily biased documentaries anyway it's frustrating isn't it yeah there's it's frustrating because and the advice that i offered on my instagram story earlier this week i'm like by all means watch it but i'm i'm also a big fan on guarding against the information you put into your mind i'm like if you have a good background or basis and foundation in nutrition watch it because you'll see that it's very heavy like i the way it's really persuasive like that's the like oh it's cleverly filmed it's but that filmed. yeah it's a really 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 well shot documentary and one of the things i was trying to hammer home to people i'm like the job of a documentary is to persuade you i'm like that's literally its job it's like whatever the message is the entire film is i is geared towards persuading you in a given way and I think it's very good at that. But my issue with that is because of that persuasiveness, if you don't have a good knowledge of nutrition going into it, you're not going to be able to, you know, pick out the fact that it's very heavily cherry picked with the evidence that they've used. And by all means, I'm a massive fan of plant-based diets. I'm a massive fan of vegan diets and lifestyles for people. I'm like, if that's what's working for you, I'm like, yeah, if that's your life choice and that's the dietary protocol you want to follow, that's one probably one of the better ones out there. But realizing that that documentary is so heavily biased in one way and it's not providing any counter arguments on the other side. Like, I love documentaries that provide the evidence on both sides and then let you pick which one's the most compelling. I'm like, I like those kind of documentaries, but they don't fucking hit number one on Netflix. Like, it's the one that are going to give people polar opinions. You know, I think that's, that's an important message. Um, But as you said, Charlie made a great point here, and I'm going to bounce it back to you now. The issue with vegan diets isn't the fact that it's not good or bad. It's Again, it comes down to the context of the person. You know, every diet out there, vegan, paleo, keto, etc., like they all have pros and cons. 
the problem with the game changers or my main issue with it is cutting out meat and fish, the foods that have the essential amino acids that your body is going to use for recovery primarily as an athlete. It's not that you can't get those from plants. It's just that it's way easier to eat one food source than combining different foods so that you can get all those essential amino acids. So it's not a case that you can't do it. It's just that it's probably going to be easier to build lean muscle tissue, to repair muscle cells if you're an athlete in a performance sport by consuming those foods. By all means, you can do it without it. But I feel that, and I'm not sure how you felt about this, Charlie, that was never given as an opinion. That was never given as an alternative. And that was kind of my main issue. I'm like, fuck, you could have totally addressed that and still made your point. And, you know, but they never did that. And that was kind of my only, like if I was to pick out, apart from the cherry-picked evidence, that was my only issue. I'm like, you totally could have said this and still had a good point to me. Like, you can do it with a plant-based diet. This is just another alternative as opposed to, ruling that out or not covering it or touching on it I agree entirely. agree entirely. And I apologize if I offended you with your, if you're following a vaguely plant-based diet. <laughs> no, so I am. Um, I, last week's episode of the podcast, I had Kim um, uh, Constable on and she's the shredded vegan on yeah. Instagram. Um, and she's, she went, she had one amazing seven minute rant giving out about vegans. <laughs> I'm like, uh, and it's not like I've lost some of my, some of my closest friends are just like lifetime vegan people. Um, but it, it's what it represents. It's like, you know, you can be a twat and be vegan. You can be really nice and be vegan. You know, you can be a twat and be a bodybuilder and you can be really nice and be a bodybuilder. You know, same as ultra runner, same as crossfitter. Like, you know, it's the, but she went off on a seven minute rant. It was amazing about, she's like, yeah, I'm plant-based, I'm vegan. And, you know, be nice. She was like, don't be a dick. <laughs> like, um, well, that's, I'm like that's, that's the B-O-N. end. Like for me, like, I quite frankly don't give a shit what anyone does. Like if you, that makes you happy and you find that makes, gets you results and it works for you. Awesome. Like all the power to you. But for me, it's same as like, like you shouldn't compare veganism to religion, but like do what you like, as long as you don't hurt anyone else or preach upon anyone else, then like, it's fine. Do whatever you like. Do you know I mean, that's, that's my opinion on pretty much everything. Uh, Charlie, I couldn't agree more. And I think that is a perfect note to leave it on. Um, mate, Love this format of the podcast. And thank you again for your patience on the second recording. Uh, Mate, for everybody listening that wants to get in touch with you, I'll link all of these in the show notes. Where can they contact you directly for coaching, for your programs, or just to check you out on social media or your podcast? Um, The best place to check me out would be my Instagram page. If you want to send me direct messages, Charlie Johnson Fitness. Uh, My own podcast is called The Powercast. I'm over on YouTube at Charlie Johnson Fitness. And my, uh, for my coaching, I run Shred and Eight, which is probably nearly one of the world's biggest eight-week transformation competitions. Um, so I'll hit that in the show notes if Brian's happy to do that. And also my own uh, coaching link there, which is charliejohnsonfitness.com. So uh, by all means, guys, like I'm open to any questions. And if you want me to, if, if anyone wants me to do a podcast or any content or anything specifically, same as Brian, I could ramble on about anything for hours. So it's a pleasure. And I actually love just helping to, helping people and discussing these sort of things. It's my passion. I love it. And for everybody listening, I will put those in the show notes, everything that Charlie just mentioned on briankeenfitness.com. Charlie, thank you so much again. Legend, my man. Thank you.